0: So, I don't know if you saw the first part of that, but uh, 100 people from uh, this church, Christian Church Buckhead, were out on the streets last uh, weekend doing all that. So, very cool. I didn't see my picture in there, by the way, but it's only because I was taking pictures. <laughs> right? So, uh, I was there. I was sorting shoes with a, a pretty hard-nosed volunteer coordinator at the place I was working. So, <laughs> it was awesome. Anybody there with me on that one? I know a few of you guys. We all survived. Um, But thank you for the hundred of you that did that And there's more of that coming of course And uh, it fits right in with the series that we're in right now called This Place And let me just bring you up to speed if you're just dropping in uh, for the first time this weekend But we've been in this series that will now end up at five weeks And this is the end of it But it's been called This Place And it is about this place, about this church, about this community, this tribe That we call Christian Church Buckhead And it is essentially about the kind of place that we hope to be and the things that we hope to become as a congregation, and these aren't things that we just made up, like this would be cool if we could be this way. They all come from a letter in the New Testament uh, called Philippians, a letter to the Philippians that a man named Paul wrote. And there are, these, there are many things in that letter, but we found five things in there that seem to be constants when it comes to church life and congregational life and the thing that we're doing here in this building and in our small groups around the city. Uh, it, there seems to be just these four or five constants Uh, that appear not just in Philippians, but all through, you know, the letters that we find in the New Testament about what the church should look like, what it should feel like, and how it should behave, and so on. And and so we've been paying attention to at least five of those things. And the first one was that this is a place of safety. And let me just paint this picture for you that it's a place of safety to come and work out what you believe. It's a place that it's, it's, hopefully this place is a safe place for you to come with questions, with doubts, with things that are confusing to you about faith, and it's safe, It's a safe enough place for you to ask those and present those, and, and, and it's a safe place to disagree with me, of course, and with anybody else. I mean, it's a safe place to come in and say, I don't believe that, and to start the journey and the process towards uh, greater faith, deeper faith, right? So we talked about that, and then week two, which is quite interesting, it's almost the flip side of week one, it's also a place of challenge, where all of us are challenged, me and you included, Uh, to take next steps in our faith, wherever that may be, right? For those of you who were listening to the starting point announcement earlier and that thing inside of your head was like, uh, I think I need to do that, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, The thing about it is the challenge for you is take that next step. Like whatever the next step is for you, you take it. Uh, That's one of the keys to great success and spiritual growth is that when you see the next step, when it's very clear, you take it. You just trust, you follow, and you take it and you see what happens. And so this is a place where no matter where you are on the spectrum of faith and belief or whatever, you're always going to be challenged to take the next step. Not anybody else's next step, just your next step. So we talked about that. My favorite week of the series so far has just been the laughter and the joy week. This is a place of laughter and joy, of finding God's goodness in all things. And um, just reminding us that this must be, the church must be a place where there's joy and rejoicing happening. And it's because Somehow, some way, we see the goodness of God in all things. And so we talked about that. Last week was about prayer. Seems sort of obvious, doesn't it? Oh, prayer. Church, prayer. Okay. Never would have put those two together. But it's just a place where we're prayed for and we pray with other people. Now, today is about <laughs> it's about service, about serving other people. It's on the screen for you. This is sort of the big thing today. This is a place of service where we will watch and listen for ways in which we can help each other. Now, if, there, if the obvious phone ever dialed, it's like right here, like, okay, serving one another in the church. Never saw that coming, just like prayer. I mean, we put, the, we put the most obvious ones at the end, but of all the things to talk about in a room like this, this one seems like the most obvious, right, that we're serving each other. But I want to just, before we get into it, I want to just say a couple things. One, What you're going to hear today is probably less of a sermon, although you may learn some things, uh, but more of just a reminder of the kind of place that we want to be and that God wants us to be. So you'll hear a lot of that today. Much of today is just stories and illustrations uh, from this community and how we're hopefully living up to this ideal that God gives us as far as the church life is concerned. The other thing is uh, when it comes to serving, and I don't know if this will ruffle feathers or not, but when it comes to serving and meeting other people's needs, the church, like the church at large, and ours included, doesn't own, quote unquote, serving. It just doesn't own it. I think serving and meeting the needs of others is essentially just a part of the human condition. It's this thing that God has instilled within all of us to be, if we choose to be uh, conscious of this, that we can be compassionate and empathetic and sympathetic, and we can be helpful that the human story has so much of this within it, and that I think it's just a part of who we are. I think, a, I think meeting needs and helping others, you know, and bringing restoration and renewal to the lives of people, that's just a part of what God designed in everyone. And so therefore, when we see this sort of thing happening, when we see renewal, restoration, when we see great impact being made on the lives of others, and it's happening outside of the church... It is a reminder that this is just kind of what God wants to do, with or without us. There's that great parable that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan. You know this story: uh, the guy gets beat up on his way, you know, between two cities, and um, he's a Jewish guy. He's laying on the ground, and the two the two Jewish religious leaders come by and they don't help him. And then the guy who helps him is the Samaritan. And if you don't know the history there, Jews and Samaritans didn't even talk to each other. Like it was like this great racial ethnic divide. Like they just didn't even communicate with, they hated each other. And the hero of the story is the dirty Samaritan. And part of, not completely, but part of what Jesus is illustrating in that story to those who are listening is that God is working through some quite unexpected places and people that when you see Uh, God moving in the world, it may come from us and it may not. Like the fact that needs are being met and that people are being restored and that communities are made safe again, it doesn't really depend on us. And yet God calls us to be a part of that. Like you don't have to be a Christian to make an impact on somebody's life. You don't. The command to love yourself, love your neighbor as yourself, is not an, is not isolated or held captive just inside the church community. It happens all the time outside the walls of the church. Some of my friends that I grew up with that I'm still friends with are essentially card carrying agnostics, and they are amazing at loving their neighbors. I actually messaged the wife not long ago after she was organizing something for someone in need in her neighborhood. And I messaged her, just a private message, and said, you're running a little church there. Uh, And just with a smiley face, you know, big smiley face there. Well, she messages back and says, shh, don't tell anybody. (laughs) Right? You don't have to be a Christian to love your neighbor well. You don't. That stuff happens all the time outside of our walls, away from our church. You can love your neighbor as yourself, and you can do that very, very well and have no interest in God or a relationship with him whatsoever. It's not necessary. Now, even in our corporate world, especially here in the States, it's almost expected that your company will in some way have this kind of tithe back to the community or to some need that we're aware of or need to be aware of. The whole phrase, corporate responsibility, is just a way for companies to show you that they do care about people. And even though they have a lot of money, they're giving some of it away to some of the, the greatest needs. I mean, you're free to do this now. I mean, you can go to the Target website and find something about social responsibility. Or you can go to Starbucks website and find an entire page of listing after listing after listing of how they are giving back to the world and in the community. Their social and corporate responsibility, Right? Or Tom's Shoes, like the whole one-for-one thing. And there's so many businesses doing that now. Because I think, in part, it's guilt. I think, in part, it's just like, oh, my goodness, there's so much money coming in, right? And because the world is so connected now, I think people just expect that you don't keep all that to yourself, right? Because at some point, you know, in the relationship between you and Starbucks, if you continue to pay $5 for a cup of whatever it is that you drink, Eventually, you're going to want to see a brochure that says how we're giving back to the community. Are you with me on that? So eventually, like, you know, you're pumping out four or $500 a year in coffee. You're going to want to see something in their materials about how they're using some of that money to help those in greatest need, right? And so it doesn't really matter the, the, the context or even the community from which it's coming from. Serving is everywhere not just in the walls of the church building or in the lives of Christians. Again, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to love your neighbors. However, and this is the big turn. however, followers of Jesus are not free to love God without loving their neighbor. Now, you can love your neighbor and not love God. That's fine. That's great. But, Christians are not allowed to love God and not love their neighbor. We're not free to do so. Jesus drew the line in the sand. The two greatest commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he qualifies that saying those two, uh, those two commands, all of the commands of the law, all the teachings of the prophets hang on those two commands. Like that's everything basically. You love God and you love your neighbor. You're not free to pick and choose. And so, and loving God shows itself in our love for others. I mean, that's just pretty much how that runs down. And while anyone and everyone can serve and love their neighbors, Christians or not, the people of the church are called and reminded that we are to be a living example of service. Now, I think the church sometimes fall behind, falls behind, you know, it comes and goes, but it falls behind in its service. Like, it falls behind the world. The world's doing more than we are sometimes. And it reminds us that serving is happening whether we're doing it or not. But God has called us to do that. God has called us to be people of service, to set the example. So this place, this community we call Christian Church Buckhead, (coughs) will be a place where we all watch and listen for the ways in which we can help one another. And the two key words there are watch and listen, that somehow... By being in this community, this church community, in this congregation, the hope is that all of us have a change of vision, that our eyes begin to see things the way God sees them, particularly that our eyes begin to see people the way that God sees them. And we develop a kind of hearing that discerns how we can each play a role in God's work in the world. Does that make sense? All right, let's just get into a couple of verses today uh, from Philippians 2. Verses 3 and 4 says this Paul says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So that's fairly explosive, isn't it? (laughs) So we'll get to that in a moment. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So it's on the screen. Let's read it together so we can sort of own that today and hear what it sounds like when we say it as a church. Here we go. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now these letters that live in the back of our New Testament... this is mail. It's mail. It's correspondence. Paul's writing these things, and they get sent to these churches. And they don't just go in, like, the church office, because that didn't exist. They were read to the congregation. And so someone stands up in front of this Philippian church and is reading this letter, and then they get to these two verses. And so you have to imagine it's the first century, and you're hearing these things from Paul. And he says to us, someone reads his words to us, and they say, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. There's almost this sense in which something was going on in that church that Paul felt the need to say something about. And so you've got to recognize the awkwardness of hearing that read in front of your church family. Like an immediate sense of, he's talking about, he's talking about something we know about. Or he's referencing something that we all are struggling with. And then he goes on to say, And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now we're going to spend just a few minutes here. And I want to just give you the background for just a moment. The whole second chapter this letter, the background... uh, from which Paul is writing these two verses. The whole background, the thing that surrounds these two verses is the story of Jesus coming to earth. It's the incarnation. It's the whole tangibility of God, like God put skin on and became a man. Like that's the backdrop from which these two verses come from. And so what what Paul is about to get at when he's talking about serving others and meeting the needs, he's speaking about that from the backdrop of God did that for us. He came here and he lived and he taught and he served and he died for us. And so Paul uses that as a backdrop. And right up here in the front, he tells us about two things when it comes to the servant. He tells us about the heart of the servant and the behavior of the servant. Now, the heart of the servant is what we begin with here today, where he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I could spend uh, the rest of my life working on that one. Think about what that means to consider others more significant than you. Let me make it harder. Uh, let's say that someone isn't more significant than you. Like you lead them in your company, or they're a dependent on you you have authority and influence over them. Or you're better at something than they are. Or you're brighter, you're smarter, you're further along in life. And yet Paul was saying, I think to those people more than anybody, you consider everybody else, quote, unquote, beneath you as more significant than you. It's a total shift of the heart, isn't it? That's like a complete shift of the heart. And it's hard to see others as better than ourselves, especially when they're not. I mean, let's just think morally and behaviorally. I mean, like, what if, what if this person Paul is talking about is someone who is absolutely off the rails morally? And yet, here's Paul saying, that person too, they're more significant. You see them as more significant than yourselves. It's a change of heart. Now, the, the word Paul uses here and lays out for us is the word humility. Say the word humility. Humility. And when we think of humility, we think of it just how you said it, like humility. Uh, (laughs) We think of it as kind of this like, you know, we're lower, we're we're terrible, we know we're terrible, and we tell everybody we're terrible. We think that's what humility is. That's what humility, that's how you define it. But humility is more about something else. C.S. Lewis says it this way, True humility is not thinking less of yourself, which is what we often think it is, but it's thinking of yourself less. That's the one you want to write down today, so we'll leave it up there for a minute. But that's a great description from our friend C.S. Lewis, who says about humility, when you think about it, it's not this state of being or living where you just think terribly of yourself. That doesn't do anybody any good. But it's just this process of, over time, you're thinking about yourself less and less and less And less. And there's no greater way to think about yourself less and less and less than if you're thinking about others through service more and more and more. It is impossible to think about yourself more when you're giving of yourself to others. Now, you might be able to break the trend and do that and write on to you, but if you're actually involved in serving and meeting the needs of other people on a deep level, you know, the natural. The natural course of events is that you begin to think less and less of yourself, or less of, your, you know, of yourself less. I can't get the quote right, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like part two of the quote, not part one. I messed that up entirely. But I think it's a nice turn in how he says it, because we often think of humility as something that has to do with self-deprecating language when that's not it at all. It's about a posture of the heart, thinking of other people more and more and more. And yet, you know, the Philippian church, perhaps there was something going on again in that congregation that Paul felt like he had to say something about. And perhaps when the reader read that, they just all kind of freaked out. And they all began to really process what was being said. Maybe there was a real vanity issue going on where there was no humility, but it was quite the opposite, where everyone just thought great of themselves and less of everybody else. We don't know, but Paul felt the need to bring it up, and he felt led to speak into it. And yet it seems pretty universal and timeless, doesn't it? That's something you can wrestle with, and I can wrestle with the rest of my life. The whole humility thing is not easy for us. And yet here we are confronted with it. And like I said a minute ago, this has so much to do with the heart of the servant. That the servant is a humble person. That the servant, though exercising great power to make great impact on people's lives, is doing so with a great sense of humility. That he or she is able to do great things, but thinking greatly of the person they're doing the great things for. Like wherever it is that we serve, whether it's in the city or in our neighborhood or in this building, or around the world in some way, that we're doing so with this genuine sense of, man, these people are so significant, more so than me. And what I'm doing, I'm humbled to be a part of. And I'm so glad that I have the physical energy and the mental and the emotional energy to do so. That's what it means to serve with a humble spirit. Back to our verse. Do nothing from selfish ambition or, vain, or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's the heart of the servant. Part two, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is very simple. Paul's simply saying here, uh, serve. Like, when you see the needs, look to those and meet them. Like, the church is not, the church is not a community of selfies. Like, it's. <laughs> I just had to say that. Uh, my friend Chad took a picture of himself and he goes, This is what the young kids call a selfish. <laughs> and he put it on Facebook. It was, so it was amazing. Uh, you can steal that, it really good. But this is all Paul is saying, like, everybody has their own needs and interests, but there are others out there too, and so look to those as well. Look to those as well, and then serve into those, and meet those needs. And this is often the natural result of a humble heart anyway. And, in a reverse sort of way, you can gain a humble heart by simply serving if you don't like serving, if you're not into that, and we ask you to serve, and you're like, that's not for me, you should do it, and then I bet a product of that over time will be that your heart changes. Some people are frozen in selfishness because they don't feel called to serve. Like they're waiting for a calling, as if the Bible wasn't already full of that calling. Like, no, I need a direct word. I know love your neighbor as yourself came out of Jesus' lips, I need a more direct calling. And so we sit, like, I don't feel the desire. I don't feel called. I'll pray about that. You don't need to pray about that. Serving is nothing you need to pray about. Did you know that? Here's a need that you can help us meet. I'll pray about that. That's unscriptural. I, don't, I never see that. I'll meet it. And if I can't meet it, I'll find somebody who can. That's the prayer. You, the prayer is, I'm going to move into this and serve. You don't need to pray about serving. Just yes or no is fine. But don't couch it with this like Christian like, I'm going to go to the Lord about that. The Lord's got one thing to say about it. Do it. And if you can't do it, find somebody who can. You can meet the needs in many, many ways. I don't know where I was going. I was just ranting. But, <laughs> oh, nah, whatever. Okay. Let me close this down by talking about three places Where, again, back to our church, back to this place, where service needs to happen. In our church, in our city, and in our world. Do not feel compelled to email me and say those are in the wrong order. These are in no particular order. The only order they're in, by the way, is just like I'm going to talk about this room first, and the neighborhoods we live in, and then the world that we all inhabit. Like that's, there might be a trajectory here, but please don't feel the need to email me and say, I think the needs of the city outweigh the needs of the church. and That's fine. I agree sometimes and sometimes I don't. But let me just disclaimer that. So put your, you know, delete draft, put that back in your pocket. All right. (laughs) Let's talk about our church. One of the great things, and we're just switching gears here, and then we're going to shut this down. One of the things I love about Christian Church Buckhead, and I've been here almost seven years now, is the sheer number of people that serve in this building. It's incredible. Uh, The sheer number of people that give of their time and energy to work with kids, or in the band, or in the sound booth, or making communion. Did you know that people, like, prepare that? Like, it doesn't just materialize on the tables. Like, people come in early and put that together for you, all for that long. I mean, like, there's, there's all kinds of people doing things behind the scenes. This first picture is taken from uh, one of our volunteer dinners two summers ago. It's our annual volunteer celebration. This is two summers ago. We couldn't do it this year because of uh, finances. But, uh... They tell me I don't talk about giving enough, so there it was. That was it. Um, we had to forego it this year. But every year, except for this year, except for this year, um, we rent the loft in the restaurant next door, and we fill it with our volunteers. All to say thank you. We celebrate you. And we have a great dinner. We bring in a speaker. There's entertainment. We give out awards. We have fun. We tell stories. And we just hang out together. I love it. It's one of, the, it's one of my favorite things That we do every year. Now the next picture is so incredible to me. And you know what this is? That's the seating chart list for that volunteer dinner. That's big, isn't it? It's like 110 names out of this small church of two services. Of people doing things in this building. Weekend and week out. That blows my mind. And it's something that I never, ever, ever take for granted. And I always, as Paul would say in all of the beginnings of his, all of his letters, I always thank God for you when I think about your partnership and the work of the church. I love that photo. I love what it means. I love what it says. And that hasn't changed. I mean, this is, this is no point in this sermon where I go, we've, we've dipped a bit. Like, that's not what I'm saying. There are always people... Serving, and you should be championed for that. So consider this your free volunteer dinner right now. Right? We're gonna end, we'll do communion today, but that's about it. But you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on just in this building that take volunteers. Matt, who's playing guitar with us now, it's the second week up here. He's doing an awesome job. He took my spot, uh, but. This is the second weekend with us, and two weeks ago he played for the first time, and he sent me a text uh, Sunday afternoon two weeks ago, and this is what it said. By the way, it's really interesting to see what everyone goes through on Sunday mornings to get the services going. Lots of moving parts, lots of involvement, very impressed. You guys do a great job. Now, that's just in this room. I mean, everybody starts to get here at 7 o'clock, things are moving, it's getting loud, we're running through stuff, we're fixing stuff. There's a lot going on just in this room, and here's a volunteer brand new to the stage. The first thing he notices is there's a lot of things going on. It doesn't just materialize. It doesn't just not a turnkey sort of thing. Now, when I was in youth group back in the day, this is true, man, and some of you Mount Carmel people can vouch for this. It was a tape deck and a Tony and Donnie worship tape, and you hit play, and we all stood up and sang. That was the band. And it was terrible. It was terrible. Almost didn't become a Christian because of the Christian music scene, right? The Christian music scene wasn't selling it for me. But that's what we did. And in fact, uh, toward the end of my time in high school, I went to the youth pastor and said, hey, I play guitar and this kid plays drums. We can do something. But we, I mean, it's all going to be black crows, but we can do it, you know? <laughs> so there's a lot that goes into just putting on this very gathering not to mention the kids, the host teams, uh, the communion prep, I mean, everything. I wish I had, I should have done my homework and got the exact numbers of people that work on a Sunday, but I bet just in this building alone it's 50 on a Sunday morning. Because in this room, it's at least 10 or 12. And not to mention the other places in the building. One of the things that we talked about uh, over the last couple of days on our annual staff retreat, we just got back on Friday and um we talked about one of the things we want to do next year beginning in january is having a i love this idea because it's it's this thing we're only going to do once a month so it doesn't you know you don't not see it but uh or you go blind to it but we're just going to put some sort of kiosk in the lobby once a month we'll roll it in roll it out and it's just kind of a, a service area central sort of thing i don't know what it's called yet but basically, we'll be able to get up here once a month, same weekend, every month, and say, hey, top five needs within this building are out there. Go find something that you can do and sign up and help, whatever that may be. You know, it may be that we need people to watch Babies in the Nursery, and if you're not a dropper, that, you might, be a good, that might be a good place for you, right? <laughs> uh, if you, or maybe it's work, at, you know, we need people to sit in a circle, uh, you know, for months and months at a time with elementary school kids and talk about Jesus. Like, we need people to do that. Can you do that? You can do that. You know, you can do that. Uh, Sometimes we need middle school, but always go in with a buddy on middle school. Don't do that solo. It's a buddy system. (laughs) Always go in, buddy. Like, you're coming with me, you know. And on and on and on and on. Just a way for us to say, we we have some things that we need people to do, and you can do that right out there. And if you need to pray about it, pray from here to there. (laughs) Right? It's that simple. In our city... Um, a friend of mine who I baptized here six years ago uh, she moved away several years ago as most people do in this town and but I still am friends with her still follow her on Facebook and she posted she lives in Indianapolis and she posted this the other day she said every morning on my way to work I drive past the same man sleeping under the same bridge now you know what this is like most mornings I say a little prayer for him as I speed by This morning, when everything was dusted with snow, I watched a businesswoman get out of her car and offer a breakfast sandwich and a hot cup of coffee to a man as he sat up from his makeshift bed. Very cool. Next slide is the powerful piece. She said, say what you want about what's right and wrong, about politics, about freeloaders and all the rest. I want to be more like that woman. Amen? Like, forget about all that other stuff that's the kind of heart I want. I want to be that woman. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be able to see and feel and hear and read the needs and just meet them, regardless of whether they have long-term effect or not. Just being the hands and feet of God in each and every situation. And here's the thing about our neighborhoods and the buildings you live in, and this city, and your community. Uh, every, all of us, by the way, nobody has more or less. We all have the same number of hours every year. All of us live 8,760 hours every year. That's it. Like nobody has more or less. If you have more, talk to me. Uh, If you have less, I don't know what's happening. You need to stop traveling across time zones. But (laughs) all of us essentially live the same number of hours every month or every year, every day of every year. And if you are a committed, and I mean like top-notch committed church attender, then you're in this room right here a total of 52 hours a year that's it. And I'm, and I'm highballing that because the average church attender in America is like once or twice a month. So if you're one of the few that are like, we're every week unless I'm really sick, like we'll just give you the whole year, 52 hours in this building, which leaves 8,708 hours to sleep, eat, play, work. 52 hours. Now it kind of shines a light on the importance of this versus that. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some divine stuff that happens in this room, and we need to be here every Sunday. The scriptures say that, like, get together and do this thing, right? And I think we all understand why. But this is not where we live our lives. I mean, I do, but you don't. (laughs) You don't live here. You're here an hour a week. Some of you are so, like... You're here one, it's so much that we could change things in here. And this has happened. You know, we we'll repaint, put some new things up. Six weeks in, you're like, did we get TVs or something? Like, you don't even recognize. <laughs> you don't even recognize the changes on the menu. But that's just normal because you don't live here. This is not your world. This is kind of a pause in the lives that we all actually live. And we gather in this room and we sing about the lives that... We're living in the God who is living through us. But this is just at best 52 hours of your year. That's just a little more than two days. Therefore, there must be something that God is calling us to do in the communities in which we live. The worlds that we actually inhabit, there must be something there for us yeah, we need people to help out on Sunday mornings in here. Great. You'll hear about that from us. End of story. There are times where we need people to lead small groups and open up their homes for that. Fine. End of story. You'll hear that. But beyond that, the world that we live in is out there. And the people that we spend the most time with are not in here. And the people in the needs that we know about are more out there than in here. And God is calling us to be aware of those and to meet those. Let me just close with this in our world piece, because uh, I like this for, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, as you know, we're kind of all hyped up on mission work here. I mean, we like it. Uh, we love it. We throw, a lot of, we throw as much money as we can at it. But one of the greater stories from within this congregation is just the number of people that have left their jobs here in the States and now live overseas doing various things. Some of which are even on our support list. People who basically had great gigs and they come up to us and they go, we just feel like God's calling us to go do this thing in this country. We'd like you to pray for us and if possible support us. And we love those conversations. It will keep happening. This is a place where that happens. Be frightened. This is a place where God gets a hold of people and then they walk up to us and go, I don't know why, but I'm moving to this country. And we're going to do this with our lives now. This is a place for that. And I think when we listen to the scriptures about serving and meeting the needs of others, those are the three places that we kind of think through. In the church building, in the neighborhoods that we live, in the city that we live in, and of course partnering with God in the world somewhere. Again, this is a place of service where we will watch and listen for the ways we can help each other. I want to close with this little experience from the life of Jesus. And it's recorded in Matthew's gospel. And there's a couple of verses before this essentially saying that Jesus and his disciples were moving through all these various towns and cities and teaching and so on. But then right here, Matthew describes this situation that I think we all need to listen to. It says, When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had what? What's the word there? Compassion. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's a great phrase to describe a culture where everyone is exposed to danger. They could be, uh, they could, there could be great injustice here because they're exposed. And they're like sheep without a shepherd, meaning they don't know where they are. They're lost and they're without protection. And Jesus feels this because he sees it. And then he turns to the disciples and says, quote, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I'll be the first to say, I wish Jesus would have been less poetic here and more clear. You know, I wish he would have just said, do you see this? But I think that's what he's saying. There's almost the sense in which the disciples don't see it. Just A to B, A to B. And we're in between A and B right here. I just got to get from here to there, and we're just got to deal with this on the way through. And Jesus sees the crowds, because it doesn't say the disciples saw this. He sees the crowds, and the kind of seeing that Jesus experienced welled up within him this sense of great compassion. And so compassion comes from seeing things a certain way. Are you with me? And the word compassion even has this etymological history that ends up back into the word for a mother's womb. And so there's this great sense of pain and discomfort and yet hope of the outcome. And so Jesus sees these things. He sees these people and it causes a great sense of compassion in him. Therefore, we have to see a certain way. We have to ask God for the eyes to see, It's the scripture in the New Testament that says, open the eyes of my heart so that we can see you. Because sometimes we don't see like that. And he essentially looks at his disciples and says, hey, uh, there's, not, there's not enough people to solve these problems. Can you pray about that? But almost in a tongue-in-cheek way to say, that's going to be you. You're going to be sent out into these places. Jim Cast Keats said, God has hands and they're attached to your wrists amen that's it i mean i don't know how to say it any better i think that's what jesus was saying there he saw the crowds he had compassion he looked at his disciples and said god has hands and they're attached to your wrists so pray for the strength to use them now we recognize in this town that uh, there's a great transience in our city And how so many are here just for a short while, including our baseball team, right? It's just the way Atlanta functions. Nothing is old. Everything is new. And some of you are just here for a while. And the danger in living in a particular location, knowing that it's only going to be temporary is that it can be very hard to invest your time and energy into the needs of others. Simply because, I'll just do that in the next town. I'll just do that in the next church. This is me time. Between now and the next move, this will just be me time. I need to replenish. I need to kind of just take in for a while. But let me just tell you some truth. That opportunities for serving, they do not await us in some future destination. Or in some other place. They're always here and now. And serving is always better sooner over later. Because when it comes to serving others, I can tell you from experience that later always turns up empty. If only in your own heart. And so while you are here, in this town and in this congregation, allow God to use you. Let Him work through you. Be reminded that his hands are attached to your wrists and that you have been called to serve in some way in this building, in this city, and in this world. I told you I would read you the rest of the text, but let me just read you the whole thing, and then I will pray for communion, and then you can move to one of the four tables and take communion there. Chapter 2, verse 1, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Look each of you uh, not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, the Father. Amen. Let me pray for you uh, and for our time of communion. And then if you're new with us, it works this way. You move to one of the four tables and take the bread and the juice there. You can also take it back to your seat and just reflect on some of the things that you've heard and then take it there. So it's up to you. Uh, At this time as well, we take an offering, but those boxes are just on the communion tables. So let me pray for you, and then you can move uh, to one of the four. God, thank you for this uh, scripture. Thank you for this challenge uh, to be people of service. Thank you for um, the needs that you call us to meet. God, we pray for that day. We look forward to that day um, where there are no more needs, where there are no more tears where there are no more stories of pain and suffering but until then God we, um, we, we put ourselves in your hands and we say use us in some way um, as the great prophet Isaiah said we just repeat back to you that here I am and you can use me I'm your servant God open our eyes to the things around us the needs and the lives of the people that we know and love and even those that we Uh, don't love. Open our heart to them. God, we we spend such a limited amount of time in this building uh, but we do have needs in here and I pray that you help us meet those but as well in our city and in our world. Help us to be that kind of place where we listen and watch for the ways that we can serve and meet the needs and help each other. God, as we take communion just now, let it remind us of Uh, your great love for us, of your mercy and grace, of your whole coming to this earth and living among us and dying for us. God, as we take the bread and the juice just now, let it be an encouragement, a sign of unity that we all seek you, and we seek a greater faith and a greater life of service. It's in your name that I pray, and everyone said, amen.